Hey friends, thanks so much for joining us here on the very first episode of A Third Way Podcast. We are so excited to dive into some conversations around the tension of following Jesus. I know in this time, in this day and age, many of us want cut and dry, black and white, easy, right and wrong answers. And uh, I've learned there's a lot more in the gray. And in fact, the way of Christ often is moving towards um, not the far left or the far right, but finding the way in the center and even what it looks like to advocate for other people. People. And, you know, that requires me to have a posture of listening and learning. So I'm excited to be joined here by my colleague, John. You know, so I'm, excited. <laughs> I initially asked John to help produce this podcast because I have no idea what I'm doing. It's and been a, a lie from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, he has joined in and really um, just helped co-host this and interview some fantastic people. We have reached out to people who are a lot smarter than us. Uh, and asked them to dive in. It wasn't hard to find them. Yes, very true. But we wanted to dive in and create a place that we can ask them hard questions, uh, create a place, you know, if I'm honest, most of these conversations I'm having behind closed doors with Mm -hmm. pastors and many of my friends, my Christian friends, a lot of my friends who don't follow Christ or who perhaps one did, but have fallen away from the faith, they're wrestling with these things. And so our hope, our intention is to create a place that we can ask hard questions, uh, that we can dive in together. I think perhaps agree to disagree on some things, sometimes um, model unity in the midst of disagreement. And so really excited to dive in. John, why'd you say yes to be a part of this? I was promised so much money that... Uh, and fame <laughs> yeah. and glory. Listen, none of us are making money off Three of Three years later, we're going to release the content. No, I'm just kidding. I, I am very excited. Um, I think there's a, a tension within me um, that is living out that nuance from where I grew up. You know, I'm, I'm a, a Southern boy, a North Carolina boy who grew up in a, a very small conservative denomination. And mm-hmm. then I... I'm now living in the Bay Area of California, one of the most liberal areas of mm. America, of the world even, um, and, and in a seeker-friendly, what some might call a megachurch. And the tension inside of me, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Because I don't believe either one is right or wrong in their models. And mm-hmm. I think we get so hung up with the model of following Jesus and the model of reaching people for Jesus. And mm-hmm. that's not what Jesus had in mind. I think there's a love that has to transcend all of our theologies and mm-hmm. our ideologies and our even just um, our own uh, preferences so sure. so this these conversations have been so much fun for me because they're like you said these are conversations I'm having all the time you mm-hmm. know I feel like I'm constantly bouncing ideas off my friends or my uh, pastor friends and saying what if we did it this way what if we tried this mm-hmm. and even disagreeing in times of what do you believe about this and how do I How do I wrestle with this in my own heart? These are the kinds of conversations that we want to model uh, humility in through this podcast. And if you open up Twitter, if you take a look at social media, if you look at some of the sound bites where these conversations are being had, um, one, they are not very honoring. Mm. They're not super loving. I don't think in most of the ones that I've seen that they represent Christ very well. And so we want to enter in and dive in and kind of take the long road, right? To to really Conversations are messy. You know, you, a lot of times conversations can end in in tears or in disagreement, but we want to model a way that even if we don't agree at the end of the day, we can shake hands and Mm -hmm. we can still understand that uh, we still follow the same God and we still want people to know him and to know his love and love him. So 
um, yeah, we want to take the long way. We want to engage in the hard conversations and maybe not get to any answers by the end of the podcast. Yes, I love to, when I'm telling friends about this launching, I love to say, you know, we don't have many answers to give, but we hope <laughs> to be asking better questions. Yeah. And that requires the sense of humility to be able to dive in and say, huh, I don't know if I agree with that. And we unpack on this very first episode, a little bit of sort of the differences between tradition and theology. Yeah. And I think our posture in our theology can matter sometimes as much as what we believe yeah. about our, you know, what our theology, Absolutely. how it's formed and what it's shaped by. And so you're a pastor out in the Bay Area, and that's how we met. I did some teaching out yeah. at your church earlier this year. Uh, I'm a pastor alongside my husband here just outside of Cincinnati and um, get to serve a fantastic church yeah. community here that allows us to wrestle with theology Absolutely. over tradition and dive into hard conversations. And, you know, even when there are things um, happening in the media or in the news, we try to say, what does this mean for our community? We should be talking yeah. about this on the weekend. And so that's messy, but I'm so grateful. I wouldn't want to be a part of any other type Absolutely. of community. Uh, I have really just the tremendous privilege of partnering with pastors all over doing coaching work through an organization called New Ground Network. And so getting to have a front row seat to other leaders in the faith community that are also navigating what does this mean for me, for my faith? What does this mean for the people that I serve mm -hmm. um, as a pastor? And so we're coming at these conversations, um, sitting side by side with the people who might be listening for to sure. this, right? Yeah. And you know, what, one of the, this first interview that we got to do uh, was with, this is my first time meeting him. I know he's a friend of yours and he's a, just a friend of many. He's a phenomenal leader and mm -hmm. it shows in the conversation. But uh, my favorite thing about it with this conversation, his name is Dick Alexander, which we'll enter into in just a minute. Uh, my favorite thing is people want to look down at the young generation and say, oh, you just want to deconstruct the church. You just want to, you're seeing all these problems that have been around for years. Just get over it. We'll find our way. You know, Dick is a, a, a retired pastor in some sense of the word. Some ways still pastoring <laughs> many, yep, but retired, sure. And he definitely gives... Uh, he gives some some weight to these issues in the sense of you're never going to stop wrestling with this. Well, and he sort of says we shouldn't, right? Yes. He gave us a lot of permission to wrestle with these. It's funny, after we recorded this conversation, um, there were a couple of things we talked about. He texted me last night and said, hey, I need to learn more about that. Can you send me some I love that. So here he is yes. in his mid-70s, and he leads out in yeah. both his candor that he brings to this conversation as well as the kindness and the, the posture of humility. And so, so excited to dive into this conversation. Dick Alex Alexander um, served as a pastor longer than I've been alive, uh, has <laughs> retired from that vocationally, but still a pastor, a mentor to many. He and I have had the privilege of pastoring um, a variety of different yeah. groups of other pastors and doing some coaching with them all around the country. And I've learned so much from watching him such a hold gift. up truth yes. yeah, and love. And so we can't wait to dive into this conversation. Thanks again for joining us here on A Third Way. Let's dive in with Dick. We have a special guest for you right now. We're joined by Dick Alexander. Uh, Dick served as a pastor for longer than I've been alive. I'm going to tell you the truth there. Uh, he's been a pastor and a mentor to me and still functions as a pastor and a mentor and a coach to so many pastors across the country and around the world. Uh, he's engaged in missions work globally and in helping other churches engage in responsible missions work. And so, Dick, thanks so much for joining us here on this conversation. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Good to be here. Thanks for the invite. Um, Dick, will you tell us just a little bit of your background, kind of how you served in ministry, some of the different capacities, maybe even how you got into pastoring a church? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was adopted when I was a year old. I'd been abandoned at birth, 
and was in foster care for the first year of my life. And in that day and age, I was just about at the place where I was aging out of foster care at a year old and would have been sent to an orphanage. And I was adopted by a church-going couple. Yeah. Um, and I'm so thankful for that. I just grew up in a community of faith with incredibly good salt-of-the-earth kind of people. And I, I committed my life to Christ when I was nine. Um, but from the time I was about six, I had a sense that I was supposed to be a pastor. And it was the only thing I ever really wanted to do. And sometimes people will ask me, how do you discern a pastoral calling? And I thought, mine is not a model for anybody. It just happened uh, when I was really little. I wanted to be a fireman like an awful lot of boys then did. And when I quit wanting to be a fireman, I wanted to be a pastor. And I never thought really seriously about doing anything else. So when I was 18, went to Bible college and then I realized there were other ways to serve God beside being a pastor of a local church. I could be a missionary. I could go into youth ministry. I could, you know, there are a lot of options. So I was going to drop out of school for a year and go home and work and try to get my head together. And one of my professors uh, at Cincinnati Christian University said, well, why don't you stay here and figure it out because you'll be in an environment where you'll have a lot of inputs, you'll see a lot of different possibilities. And that made sense to me. So I did, uh, went into student ministry, did that for almost 20 years. And then there was a guy in our church who um, was really good leader. I had immense respect for him. And he just said, I think um, a church could benefit from your leadership and from mm. your uh, preaching. And he was the one who started me thinking about then moving from student ministry. And I had no desire to do that. I, I was almost 40, but I realized I was a way better youth pastor at 40 than I was at 25. <laughs> but I thought it was something God wanted me to do. Yeah. So I um, made that decision and then I uh, wound up in a lead role. Um, it was a little bit strange because I never felt totally comfortable as a lead pastor. Hmm. Um, I felt kind of like I was a second baseman playing shortstop. Huh, um, say I, more. I clearly have a gift of leadership and uh, vision, mm -hmm. but I just never felt like I was to be in the lead role. Hmm. Um, and I would have been very willing to step aside from that. And I often prayed to God about that. I just said, uh, Lord, this church deserves better than what I'm bringing. Yeah. Um, so I'll step aside and go do something else here or anywhere. But um, nobody surfaced. <laughs> and perhaps that's exactly why God kept you in that position. Because well, you were... <laughs> I, I felt like that was it. Like he wanted me to do that. So I continued... Um, doing that. And then after 29 years uh, from that, um, slowed down a little bit in ministry and now do uh, two or three part-time kinds of things and just a lot of still pastoring work. Hmm. Slow so, down? Did you really slow down? Yeah. Okay. I, I still work every day, but I don't work all day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. 
So let let it, this church actually that we're sitting in for 29 years. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Do you, I know we first met um, coaching a group of pastors and yeah. we've done that for a couple of years in a row. And I yeah. used to joke with the team, okay, I know you guys paired me up with Dick for this role because you yeah. you were worried about me, right? They were, they yeah. sent you along to make sure I didn't get into too much trouble. I think that's part of it. We got to work with dozens of lead pastors yeah. all across the country, different sized churches, variety of different types of communities, demographics, crisis issues that they're facing. I'm curious, do you think that's a common theme for lead pastors to feel like maybe they don't fit or maybe that's not their, like some imposter syndrome with that role as a lead pastor? Uh, Yes, I do think so because the demands are just so enormous. Mm And I think there is always a sense of inadequacy. Mm-hmm. Now, a part of that can be psychological. It can just be our own junk that we're bringing to it. Sure. And I think that was true for me. I think I grew up with a real sense of shame from part some things in the way I was raised. Mm-hmm. But also, I don't think it's all bad. Mm-hmm. Because if you ever feel that you're really adequate and competent, then you don't need God. So that Mm. sense of, I don't have what it takes to do this, Mm -hmm. can be a healthy thing Mm -hmm. for anybody in Christian leadership, as long as it's not debilitating. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, 2 Corinthians 3, there's a passage in about verses 4 to 6, where Paul says, we are adequate for nothing. Mm. God is adequate. Mm -hmm. So when our adequacy is in Him, then we're strong, and it's like Second Corinthians 12. When mm-hmm. we're weak, then we're strong. Mm-hmm. Then he is glorified through that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you bring a lot of perspective to some of these conversations we hope to have on this podcast, and I want to unpack a little bit the idea of a third way. And mm-hmm. this moment in time, you can hop on Twitter, you can hop on any form of social media, and you can see a lot of vitriol, a lot of intense debate, um, almost to the point of where it it involves shaming, it can be very diminishing. And I have found a lot of times we're in sort of closed door conversations with a small group of pastors, wanting to dive into the nuance of some of these conversations, Mm -hmm. wanting to say, where is a safe place for me to acknowledge I don't understand or for me to seek multiple perspectives, if we were to look at things on a continuum, right? If, if we want to understand somebody that might have a theological difference or that might have a, an experiential difference, um, you and I have talked ab- about some of these pretty intense topics, whether it's politics or um, women in leadership or race dynamics or power mm-hmm. dynamics. And uh, give us a little bit of insight when you hear a third way, when you hear about us saying that we want to navigate the tension of following Jesus, what does that mean to you? Um, I think following Jesus is always going to be difficult, and um, my mind is wired in probably some fairly messed up ways, but I figured out early on that I didn't see things like a lot of people did, Um, and the hardest thing for me was when uh, I felt like an outlier among Christians. It Mm. was not so hard to feel like an outlier in the world because if you're following Jesus, you're, you're bound to be different. The difficulty was um, when I didn't feel like I fit with Christians mm. because then you feel very alone. I felt like I had no home base. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember distinctly uh, one evening where it hit that way. 
Um, I was in a conference that was put on by uh, the Fellowship of Churches that I was a part of. It's an annual conference, big leadership deal, kind of a central rallying point. And one of the best known pastors in this network of churches was speaking and he said some things and this would have been mid-1980s. So uh, he, he could do it then without getting much pushback. He said some things that were critical of a uh, gay lifestyle, but he said them in a very caustic way. Mm. And there was applause <laughs> to that. Oh. And I just thought, these are not my people. Mm. I, I don't fit here. I don't see this like they do. Mm. But then <clears throat> if you're going to serve Jesus well, I think in any period of time in which you live, you have to be secure enough with him that you're willing to stand with him, whoever likes that or not. Hmm. So um, that there can always be a cost to it. And I think you never want to be arrogant about it because all of us can believe we're right. And there are the people who <laughs> And think, we usually do believe we're right. Oh, yeah. And so we think, I don't care what anybody thinks. You know, yeah. Yeah. well, that's a mistake because we all need feedback, we all need pushback. None of us is right, Jesus is true. Mm. But in the course of aligning with him, we will find ourselves feeling like misfits among Christians mm -hmm. at times, mm -hmm. um, but you just can't back off then. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's not what leaders are called for. Mm -hmm. So even if you were on the, on the side of being right about something, you're right, and I say that sort of in air quotes, yeah. your posture, yeah is still more important than the people that you're going to accost in whatever side of something you're on, right? Like our posture of humility instead of yeah. arrogance really matters and how yeah. we show up to these conversations. Um, I'm also hearing you say that you think Jesus is big enough that we can wrestle, <laughs> that oh, we yeah. can yeah. question yeah. And, and, yeah. and fight through. Um, talk to me maybe for a minute about um, where I see people get, get hung up and some of these hard issues or hard topics to navigate is when they come at something holding up tradition instead of theology. Do you see that there are times that we can get really stuck in tradition, like this is the way we've always done it, or this fits more broad stroke maybe with the way of Jesus, but the nuance could actually, the nuance of something could actually violate our theology and still align with our tradition? Yeah, and I think particularly um, that's true uh, for Bible-believing Christians, because those of us who give a lot of emphasis to Scripture then are seeking scriptural truth. But what happens, I think, sometimes subconsciously is our traditions take on the same authority as Scripture. Mm. And when we've done those things over and over for a long period of time, it may have been at the time that tradition began. It wasn't begun as a tradition. It was just begun as a practice. Mm -hmm. It was an implementation of a biblical principle. And it may have been a very legitimate biblical way to do it, but it certainly wasn't the only biblical way mm -hmm. to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then when you do it over time, it feels like that's what the scripture requires us to do. And if we're not doing that, we're not true to scripture. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and among Bible-believing Christians, then a change in a practice can feel like 
you've abandoned the Bible, mm-hmm. when really it was a, a tradition. And I think for that reason, um, there's a thing among conservative people, they say, they used to say more often, we don't want change just for change's sake. Mm-hmm. And I think there are times where we do need to change just for change's <laughs> sake so that the cement doesn't harden sure. on our traditions mm-hmm. sure. and then they take on the authority of speaking my scripture. language mm-hmm. yeah. the tradition can take on the authority of yeah. theology or the yes. practice can take on the authority of a principle or it yeah does. yeah and even when i'm hearing you if i just put on my like pastoral lens i'm thinking yeah this happens when we change the service times yep. on the weekend and somebody wants to you know go back to the you bible take on the that. cookies out of the cafe sure <laughs> and we switch to only coffee yeah, we will s- sometimes change the seating arrangement in our auditorium and then if somebody's seat is not that you know but some oh, yeah. of that's intentional just like you're saying it's okay yeah. if we gotta ruffle some feathers a yeah. little bit with some yeah. change yeah yeah, and I think that kind of thing where it changes seating arrangement is a good thing. Or when churches um, change the worship times mm-hmm. and they have some reason to do that, it might not be necessary. I think there are times where it's just good to do that because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we don't want to settle yeah. into the ruts. It's just human nature yeah. to do yeah. that. Totally. I, I loved what you were saying, and I'm thinking through um, maybe young pastors out there. And we even spoke to some of them already that will be featured on this podcast. But as a young pastor, the, the feeling that you didn't belong in the place where you are literally supposed to find, you are the body of Christ mm-hmm. and yeah. you don't feel like mm-hmm. you belong on the body. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that journey like uh, as, as a young man? I'm not even sure where you married at this time. What was it like finding hope in this time? You did say, you know, you have to be secure enough in who Jesus is with you, like who, what that relationship is to continue to move forward. But if you could just give encouragement and hope to other young pastors who might be feeling that right now, like some, I don't know why, but I don't fit in with the people I'm supposed to fit in with. Yeah. I don't know if there's a simple answer to that. There's, I'm hoping there's not. Actually, yeah. <laughs> Move towards the wrestling. Yeah, or? there's some, yeah, there's some parts of that. Um, one piece of it is humility, and Carrie, you mentioned humility earlier. I don't think we give nearly enough attention to that. Now, that said, it's very hard to do that because it's f- hard for any of us to talk about our own humility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> but that doesn't, that's not high enough on the value scale. Mm-hmm. And I think um, when any of us has the opportunity to work closely with somebody who is highly gifted and also humble that's just an incredibly good experience oh yeah Mm -hmm. to be with them and when you're around a senior leader with years of experience who's been a ton of places and done a ton of stuff and had a lot of results and yet they are still learning they are Mm -hmm. open to feedback Mm -hmm. they will admit their mistakes freely Mm Um, they welcome input from people who are far less experienced, mm-hmm. but may have great insights that are valuable in a particular situation. Wow, those are the people you gravitate yeah, to. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I think starting that early, you ask how it works for a young yeah. leader. Well, it's really easy for younger leaders to feel like they've got it. I mean, oh, co- yeah. college sophomores. <laughs> 
they have it figured out. <laughs> that is out. the peak of your intelligence. Yes, you've reached yeah. it. Yeah, you yeah. kind of peak out there. Yeah. So that's a part of it. I think also um, respect is crucial. Mm-hmm. Um, we do not live in a culture that values respect, and that is increasingly an issue. I mean, that one we're losing ground on, mm-hmm. we're not yeah. gaining yeah. ground mm-hmm. on. And there are two issues there. One is respect for authority, mm-hmm. for position, because in our present environment, um, there are a ton of people who disagree uh, with President Trump. Mm-hmm. But the manner in which that disagreement is voiced is terribly destructive for the country. There's also a thing of respect for age. And often, I think, for a younger leader, the difficulty um, is respect for older leaders who don't seem to get it. Mm. Um, And I would say those older leaders need to listen a lot more and they need to ask a lot more questions just because they've been doing it a long time. They don't have, it, don't have it right. The flip side is there is an appropriate respect for age that scripture teaches. So there is a thing there for younger leaders of saying, okay, I have some ideas that I think are valuable and I think have a place um, but I've got to deal with that in a way that honors Jesus, yeah. not in a way that just pushes my ego. And for people who have grown up being told you're special and you can do anything you want to do, then <laughs> it may be hard to take a step yeah. back. Yeah. 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 But how exhilarating for a young leader uh, in that position to be with an older leader who yeah. is listening, who is still humble, and as a young leader who feels like you have your your finger on the pulse, essentially, of, of culture today. You know, I'm thinking yeah. of a millennial leader, like, well, I understand what's happening a little bit more. Maybe that arrogance, but but to in humility say, can you help me cross this bridge from an idea that I might be having for maybe to start yeah. some kind of a ministry, to start something? Help me across that bridge to make it happen, because yeah. you've started who knows how many ministries in your, in your life. You yeah. know the difficulty. Just because you have an idea doesn't mean you're going to be able to execute yeah. it well and not walk over people to get it or mm. or that it's that it's going to work perfectly for you. you're going to hit some some struggles along the way and you're going to hit some tough stuff and well, you think, need help i think that's the gap today in the way we conceptualize diversity hmm. because when you throw out the word diversity what people mean is racial diversity mm-hmm. so you look around the room and uh, are there different colored faces at the table mm-hmm. but we don't think as much about age diversity mm-hmm. And I think the really good leadership groups have in them people of different generations. Mm -hmm. And on the one hand, I would say that we overemphasize generational differences these days by labeling generations. Yeah. On the other side, the reason that happens is there tend to be some generational perspectives. Mm -hmm. And they aren't true of everybody in a generation, but there are some perspectives that are different. So when you have a 20-year-old, a 40-year-old, a 60-year-old, and an 80-year-old in the room, all willing to listen to each other, mm. that can be a very rich environment. Mm-hmm. Yes. And each one brings something really valuable to the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that respect component of it, like you're saying. And I, I've had this conversation with a group of older leaders that will talk about this sort of up-and-coming generation of leadership. And um, 
I actually, as a millennial, talked about millennials and leadership at a, <laughs> an executive pastor's conference, which was kind of humorous to think about. But I think sometimes we can misidentify ownership as entitlement. Right. And so if you can get into a place of mutual respect, and I experienced this in my own church with somebody on my staff who's 23, who came back the first time I was up on stage leading something and said, hey, can I give you some feedback? And there was something in me that was sort of like, excuse me? Yeah, like, who are you, kid? Uh, okay, excuse yeah, me, sure. Le, le, let me have it. Let me have it. And, but there was a there was a, a respect piece that came out. And the second time, you know, the next day when he came back with more feedback, I was sort of like, I don't tell you what keys to play in. Like, what what is happening right now? But I had to... I had to shift my thinking to say, wow, this young man cares about what it is that we're doing and he cares about my influence. And, you know, we've talked about ways to do that, but, you know, but at the core of it, it wasn't that he was entitled to come and tell me what he thought. He had high ownership over what we're doing. So I I like that you're saying it's not just that young people need to grow in their respect, which is true. And older folks need to grow in their respect in in creating a collaborative environment in that way. Yeah. Um, the other piece of this that just I want to tie up is you mentioned the humility piece of it. And I heard somebody way smarter than me say the opposite of humility is not arrogance. The opposite of humility is insecurity. And that has really changed how I think about humility. And I think specifically for this conversation or the conversations that we hope to dive into, if I enter into this with my security being in Christ, I can be super humble and actually sit across the table from people that have very different, not just traditional viewpoints. I can sit across the table from people that have very different theological viewpoints Mm -hmm. and still say, I want to humbly enter into this because my assurance, my security is in Christ. And so I, you know, the arrogance comes from insecurity. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a profound way to think about what humility is? I like that idea. And I want to just, let that soak in and think more about that. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Mm-hmm. You talk about identity being in Christ. Um, that's become, I think, much more of a topic in the last five to 10 years. Hmm. And I think that is an extremely positive thing mm-hmm. because when we become most angry and most reactionary is when something's attacking our identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if I go back 20 years, I don't remember much conversation about identity. Mm -hmm. And I think for those of us who are part of Bible-believing churches, the Christianity that's been presented is much more behavioral. It's what you do and what you don't do. Mm -hmm. It's the outside action stuff, the lists of sins you avoid and the good things you're supposed to do, mm-hmm. but it's not as inside out. Mm-hmm. So when you go to identity, that's inside, that's core. And when we can help the people we're working with, we're discipling, or the people in our churches mm-hmm. get to the identity and really work through that, mm-hmm. then it becomes outside, uh, inside out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes much deeper, much more real, and I think we're in a position where God can use us much better. Amen. Yeah. I, w- I would even just say, you know, in, in light of these conversations that we're going to be having with these people, and, and I do believe the reason these conversations are so heated and hard to have in mm-hmm. the church is because we're finding our identity in these things. You know, whether it's the, the gender issues that we talk about or, or um, 
you know, the racial issues that we find ourselves in. And now that there's no truth that there is not identity wrapped up into this, of course, mm -hmm. the color of your skin, you live in that every single day. Mm -hmm. And we've had other conversations about that as well. And, um, but if we are truly rooted in our identity being found in Christ, we will be able to, in humility, probably take a lot more than we are to mm -hmm. where we can enter into mm -hmm. a conversation like that. And I love how invitational that is to following Jesus because that is about heart transformation, not behavior modification. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. if we can continue to elevate who Jesus is, that, that causes me to want to pursue heart yeah, transformation yeah, and yeah. life transformation, not yeah. just behavior modification. John, there's a really good illustration of what you were saying, I think. Um, and I, I'm sorry that my uh, world knowledge is as small as it is. I'm a typical American, I think, who doesn't know much about the rest of the world. <laughs> and I just heard a passing uh, story about this recently, but it was the Central African nation. I think it was Rwanda, where there was the conflict between the Hutus and the Tutsis, and there was genocide, mm. one tribe killing the other, 800,000 people mm. massacred in three yeah. months' time. <clears throat> and the, in a way, uh, one of the biggest parts of the tragedy of that was both groups were Christian. Mm. So the question was asked later, okay, if both those tribes are, are Christian tribes, how could they be killing each other? Yeah. And the answer came back, and it made great sense. It said they were tribalist first, mm. Christian second. Yeah. And that speaks to that identity yeah. issue. Yeah. You, you will die and kill for your identity. Yeah. And their identity wasn't in Christ. Yeah. Hmm. Am I a, what denomination am I first before I am a follower of Jesus? What, uh, yeah. um, what National gender? Yeah. What, what, yeah. what, what ethnicity am I first before I'm a follower of Jesus? And, and not to diminish, again, that's not the point, not to mm -hmm. say, oh, your race doesn't matter, your gender doesn't matter. That's not what I'm saying. No. But finding your place in Christ first allows mm -hmm. you to enter into the table and have conversations even with people that is the, op the opposite. Like yeah. their identity is yeah. still wrapped up in that, but cool. you can love them into uh, seeing where they can grow in this and where you can still grow in it too because of the humility. And that's a part of, I mean, what we actually hope to accomplish. And Dick, I'm curious um, in a minute if you tell us how dangerous you think this is for us to be doing this. But uh, I mean, God has been wrecking me with the idea that yes, my identity is found in Christ first. And I am the way that Christ expresses his identity to the world. So the weight of that, of me being a part of a bo the body of Christ, the very extension of who Jesus Christ is to a world, we, he, we are the vehicles to express his identity to the world. That means I have to have a level of understanding of somebody else's identity outside of mine, somebody else with a different mm. color skin or a different gender or a different theological foundation. Mm. Because if I can't understand that, and try to move forward in the world in a way that extends the redemption and restoration of the character of you know what Christ came to establish, I'm, I'm ineffective. So I feel like we have to be having these conversations. And the whole reason we're, we're creating this space on a Third Way podcast is because I haven't found many places that we're having them well. And I mess this up too, but I hope yeah, to have to conversations. Yeah, not to say this is going to be the best oh, platform. Totally. But to engage with an African-American brother who is still experiencing structural and systemic consequences to racism and slavery 
I, I, I can't, as a part of the body of Christ and the extension of his identity to the world, I can't just say, well, that wasn't me. So at what point do we get over this and move on? And I don't think either of you sitting here with a woman can say, oh, these things that you experience as a woman on a daily basis because of how our world looks at your gender, that's not your identity in Christ. So let's go ahead and move on. Yeah. We have to dive into totally. seeking to understand and learn about other experiences, other perspectives, if we're truly going to reflect the character of Christ to the yes. world. Is that dangerous, though? No, I don't think so. Um, well, as I say that, yeah, there is a danger. <laughs> <laughs> There's maybe a couple, but give us some yeah. coaching well, on that. It's, <clears throat> when the conversation first began, I mean, if, if I go back to the 1960s, which is my first really conscious recollections of church life. I graduated from high school in 62 um, and was in college and seminary then the rest of that decade. Um, I think church was largely isolated from culture and we were taught to be isolated. Hmm. I mean, there, there was a- You're in the world, not of the world. Isolated and insulated. Yeah. Well, right. yeah. no, the, there, was, there was a worse way of saying it. Oh. You Come run on. with dogs, you get fleas. Oh. Mm. So we were, we were taught not to hang out with that kind of people. Wow. Mm -hmm. But see, there is in a way truth in that it is influence goes both ways. Mm -hmm. So it is hard to be, John, in the world without the world coming into you mm. in is. ways that may be costly that may make you less like Jesus. And I think that's part of why the identity issue is so critical. Mm -hmm. Because when you're really seeking in the core of your being, in your soul, to be like Jesus and to let him fill you, then there isn't the fear so much of, of the world. Mm -hmm. But one of the, this kind of tangential, but, um, one of the things that was helpful to me in this process was realizing that Jesus was comfortable anywhere. Hmm. And what started me thinking about that was um, I had been in Bible college and seminary for seven years, and I'd lived in a bubble, and I had done ministry in a church in those years. So I didn't, uh, I didn't have a marketplace job. I was just, I was working in a Christian environment. And I went to California to do student ministry in a church there. And uh, my lead pastor, my senior minister, was just very helpful to me in a ton of ways. And he belonged to a Lions Club, which was a men's service organization in the community. And he said, there's another really good service organization, a Kiwanis Club in this city. And uh, the church will pay your dues. We want you to belong to that. So I am 26 at the time, and I become a part of this group of 70 community leaders. Uh, the mayor of the city in which Disneyland was located was in that group, chairman of the county board of supervisors, um, owners of fairly good-sized privately-owned businesses wow. were there. Yeah. So these guys are three levels above me flying, you know, and I'm trying to figure out okay, how do I connect with them and have the opportunity to be and do what Jesus would want? 
Um, they did social events, and it was kind of one of those quirky things where they had a cocktail hour prior to the social event. One of their points of pride was when dinner started, you were not allowed to bring a drink to the table. You could drink during the cocktail hour, but not at dinner. I mean, they, you know, yeah. funny, yeah. funny rules. Yeah. I mean, they could have easily been Christian for the way they made rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there was only one other Christian in that group, as I figured out over time. And so after about a year, I said to Betty, we got to go to the cocktail hour. And both of us grew up in environments where all alcohol was forbidden to Christians, mm -hmm. and we were not comfortable around it. And for the first year of doing that, we would go out and sit in our car in our driveway before we would leave home. And we would pray in our car because we were just so uncomfortable mm -hmm. going into an environment like that. And then I was uh, one night leading a Bible study with some of the college students from our church. And we just got talking about Jesus in different environments. And I thought, okay, he was invited to Matthew's party. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that he just went, he was invited. Mm -hmm. So what kind of person did he need to be that they wanted him hmm. in an environment like that with those kinds of people? And then he would pick up a child and hold a child on his lap and he would stand before Pilate and not be intimidated in the slightest. Hmm. He would go before the council and had no fear. I just thought that's what was a catalyst for me to think about identity, mm -hmm. was thinking about, okay, what are the environments where I'm uncomfortable and where I feel threatened in some way and places I would avoid. There wasn't anywhere that Jesus felt he needed to avoid. Mm -hmm. And he would go be very relaxed and in being relaxed, be able to give himself to the people who were there instead of dealing with his own inner junk. Mm -hmm. And that, that started me on that pilgrimage um, toward identity. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing with that. Yeah. There's so much gold in there. They could have been <laughs> Christians with all the rules they were making. <laughs> we started... Well, I was going to name a particular <laughs> denomination of Christians, but I realized this yeah. podcast goes through yeah. a number of... Well, how crazy that, they, that the church you were at would would make the choice to to even just to get you there be like we'll pay yeah. your dues like yeah. we that's just who we are we yeah. need to be where they are yes oh i that is yeah. beautiful yeah yeah and i was doing student ministry i couldn't have afforded to belong to that mm. organization yeah. mm -hmm. so they funded the freight and, and even what you said you know uh being separated from from the culture like the church would yeah. just be insulated in its own way that's not a that's not that crazy of an idea today e either. You know, the idea of of finding a place as a follower of Jesus. I mean, we, we talk about it at our church, too. If we were to ask the question, um, who are you bringing to church? Who do you hang out with that's not here? Or who do you hang out with that doesn't know who Jesus is? Could you invite them for Christmas? And people are scratching their heads thinking, I don't. Yeah. I don't have anybody in my life that doesn't go here. You know, it's like that. That's kind of and and you know, I could say the same thing about myself as well. You know, as a pastor, saying, "Who am I hanging out with that is not a part of this church?" And as a pastor, I feel like it's a lot harder, even because mm -hmm. your life is your people, is this oh, yeah. congregation, and it's it's dangerous to get just internal that way. Yeah, and I think there's an intentionality that's mm -hmm. required for yeah. most of us. Mm -hmm. Some people just have certain spiritual gifts or qualities about them that just draws them out to all kinds of people 
for a lot of us, it's intentional. Yeah, absolutely. There yeah. were oftentimes that Jesus put himself in positions where his his integrity or his character or where he was questioned, right? Oh, yeah. This wasn't just that he felt comfortable. He felt comfortable, yeah. yeah, being scrutinized for being around yeah. certain people or having meals with certain people. So that, I mean, it just in my own heart, that takes it a step further. Yeah. Am I willing to have my influence challenged in whatever, you know, yeah. whatever that means, whatever context that's in because of yeah. who I'm spending time with? Can I ask, were you ever uh, criticized for attending the cocktail hour at this? I mean, I realize going to California, that's a different... Nobody a else should have known you were there, right? Yeah. They wouldn't have been there, right? Come on. <laughs> I guess it's a good well, point. If they criticized you, why were yeah. you there at the cocktail Well, hour? but it was California, and that yeah. wasn't an issue Yeah, there. absolutely. Uh, I was in Kentucky. Yeah. And uh, for three years, I pastored a little rural church in Kentucky. Uh, and one of the reasons that I went there, I had done student ministry for four years in Cincinnati while I was in school. And then I was invited to lead a church in a rural area. And they just had a bunch of young families and kids. And they said, we want a preacher in our church who can work with kids. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, that could be best of both worlds. Let's give that a shot. Well, I was doing that and I was working with kids. And then I was being criticized because I didn't care about the old people. <laughs> So <laughs> there, there were a group of semi-retired farmers yeah. who would get together around lunchtime at a neighborhood cafe that was a bar and cafe kind of thing. And I thought, you know, I kind of knew that was happening, and I thought, I don't believe those guys go to church anywhere, so that'd be a good spot. So I started going there for lunch a couple of days a week. And I'd go in and have a Coke and get a sandwich and just sit around with those guys and talk. And then anonymous letters started coming to the church <laughs> about a man of the cloth being seen coming out of a bar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So you were just like Jesus back then, too. Well, I always have been, but yeah. I've tried to. <laughs> yeah, it's good. We it started with else. easy examples of the stick and things that have, were... Um, you are committed to not letting tradition get get mixed up as theology, right? We talked about service yeah. times, worship worship times, or the seating arrangements. But would you be willing to dive in, give us some kind of example of maybe a, a deeper um, theological issue, a deeper, what are things that you feel like the Lord has stretched your understanding or perhaps changed your perspective or interpretation on? Um. All right, that's uh, that's what I would need to think about for a while. Sure. Um, one of those would be um, I was in college taught a strictly dispensational view of spiritual gifts mm -hmm. and taught that no miraculous gifts were given after the time of the apostles, mm -hmm. that the apostles distributed gifts through laying on of hands, which I believe they did. There, there's good biblical support for that. But that doesn't say that was the only way that could happen. Mm -hmm. So when we moved to Southern California, uh, I was serving a church that was located about a mile from Melody Land Christian Center, which in the 1970s was really the charismatic capital of the mm -hmm. United States. Mm -hmm. And I've always been curious, so I just started showing up there and then started reading and thinking about some things. and. Over a period of probably six months to a year, 
I realized that the dispensational arguments that I've been taught about what was called theologically the cessation of spiritual gifts, that those were not solid, hmm. that that really wasn't true. Um, I didn't think that tight framework held up under close scrutiny. For instance, the arguments I had learned against speaking in tongues didn't fit what I saw people doing and practicing, mm. and I thought, okay, that's not right on. But it was, that was such a volatile issue in the 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. It was way more divisive than it is today. Uh, and I realized that if I said out loud what I was thinking, um, that I would probably be fired from the church yeah. I was serving for wow. that. So I, you know, went on some just some yeah. search and uh, tried to understand what I thought Scripture was really teaching on that, yeah. and came to a different understanding of it. And it wasn't the understanding that the charismatic churches near me were teaching, but it certainly wasn't what I'd learned in college and seminary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but again, um, you, you just have to. I think if you're going to serve God well and be able to sleep at night, you have to be true to your conscience and your understanding of Scripture. Mm -hmm. And if that would have meant resign a job, uh, I hope I would have had the courage to do that mm -hmm. and to do so in a very respectful way mm -hmm. um, that didn't damage the church and the other good ministry that the church was doing in the meantime. Yeah. Sure. Dick, something that you said um you what you were taught and then when you were in a position of being face to face with people that were acting mm -hmm. contrary to what you were taught you know it's so easy to in your bubble have the books that are given to you and learn this written by people who aren't having yeah. to face and this isn't just in the spiritual gifts i mean this is across the board of issues Absolutely. Mm -hmm. and then you get out and that's part of my story as a follower of jesus as well of coming from north carolina moving to california and living there right now is Oh my goodness, what I was handed to me versus now, and not to say that I've changed my belief on every single thing, but having to, to circle back and ask way more questions because I have a face and a name and a person that I now love that is contrary to what you taught me this is. So mm -hmm. for me to look you in the eye and say you're wrong, uh, I, I never knew a person before when I decided I was going to believe what I was handed. Now I have to really wrestle with this because there's humanity involved and there's souls involved. And, mm -hmm. and the risk of just being wrong because you were given it to you early on is so much more dangerous when you're with people yeah. that Jesus yeah. loves. Well, and you mentioned third way. Um, I've thought some about third way in, in a different way than how you use the term. Mm -hmm. But this is an illustration of it. I think there are, we're often given to binary thinking. There are two ways of doing things, mm -hmm. fight or flight. Mm. And God's way is often different. In that one, the third way is stand, which is very different from fight yeah. or flight. Mm -hmm. And our human reaction is one or the other. Mm -hmm. the, the way of Jesus is often something different, and it's something that really requires God to do it. And I think, John, what you were saying, is an example of a binary way that I've seen in my lifetime in churches that one is that it's all the Bible 
scripture and scripture alone mm -hmm. means you just sit down in a closet with your Bible and you have all the answers. Yeah. Well, the People problem, get in the way of that right there. If you're they do. <laughs> loving my neighbors, yeah, a yeah. lot more complicated. I have well, to ask more is. questions. So. And the scripture says no prophecy is of private interpretation. Mm -hmm. So it is worked out in community. Yes. But the alternative is churches uh, and leaders and theologians who then take a contemporary viewpoint. So they will challenge some traditional view yeah. and they'll say, well, times have changed. You have to mm. get with it. Yeah. And really culture becomes the arbiter. Mm. So the alternative to that, it's not that we've got to do what culture is dictating for us, but we've got to be willing to reassess scripture. Yes, mm -hmm. ask more questions. And mm -hmm. say, are there things I hadn't considered? And that's mm. what meeting that person with a different perspective does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And is mm -hmm. so important. Yeah. Absolutely. And John, when you teed that up, you said there were there are issues that you were given a couple books on or this this way of thinking yeah. and then you met a person. I mean, that's been my experience in scriptures. There have been you know, not, if you just take mm -hmm. out issues, there are scriptures oh, that you're I, was saying, taught I was a taught certain this, thing. And then, you, and then as I yeah, understood that yeah. context of that time that the author the intended audience and, and then to step back and say, okay, what does that mean for me in my context? I mean the, the, to Dick's point, um, I think I think we view a third way very similarly. I think there's a difference in language and, and just candidly, the word binary right now has a lot of sort of cultural baggage and it's associated to specific topics right now that I hope yeah. we dive into on this podcast, but I didn't yeah. want to lose our intended audience even by using that word. And okay. so yeah. I think the invitation is to enter into being curious about something maybe there is another side to this that i don't know that yeah. i need to learn more about or maybe you know carrie's experience as a 35 year old woman in pastoral leadership and coaching churches that frankly may not theologically even support me serving in ministry and i've had yeah. to figure out how do i function in that yeah. context in a really honoring way and serve a church even if fundamentally we have some things we don't agree on here and i just think more and more that is the way forward for the church is to say what mm -hmm. what are the essentials and if we're honest there's probably few of those and on the non-essentials can i be humble enough to hold space for you as my brother who sees something very differently and maybe my work is to even if i don't agree with you to seek to understand it because right now culture would tell us if you don't agree with me you are against me and I don't think that that honors the way of Christ either. Yeah. Even as you say that, I'm thinking through the weight that where this goes wrong too is the weight that we're carrying of having to protect God. We have to protect the church. <laughs> we have to protect Jesus. And and it's almost like that's another way we're saying, oh, but my identity is in Jesus. That's why. That's why I care about these issues. Like, no, your identity is in protecting who hmm. Jesus is. Hmm. And that means that you have to be the one who's giving all the answers and that, and not that I've never been there either. Not yeah. that I yeah. have to be the one making sure, no, 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 you're just not getting it. Bob Goff wrote uh, his book, Everybody Always. And at the very end of it, there's a, the whole book has kind of the story of um, the witch doctors in Uganda and all this. And at the very end of it, uh, through redemption of this witch doctor that he put into prison for the mutilation of children, uh, he is now feeling called by God to go back and love on this witch doctor who he was able to put in prison to seek justice for what he had done. 
And the witch doctor ends up becoming a follower of Jesus. And mm. in the moment, he's teaching the prison. The witch doctor is. He's now preaching. And Bob Goff in the book talks about how that theology was terrible. And I was so quick to want to stop. So uncomfortable. He's like, whoa, let me correct some things for you. But that's not his place. He's not God's lawyer. God's going to do what God's going to do. If we just love people and actually believe that God's going to sort out his own reputation amongst people, that's where we can open Mm. our hands with a conversation and say, I might be completely wrong on this, but that's okay because I know God loves me. I know God loves you. So how can we have an open conversation in love (laughs) regardless of what the outcome is? Yeah, I want to back up, John, to what you said about protecting God. Um, and that that one, uh, I, you know, that's such a great thought. We naturally feel that way. I certainly feel that way at times. Mm-hmm. And I want to connect it to something you said earlier, Carrie, about how Jesus flows through us to the world. And what they see of Jesus is what they see in us. And mm-hmm. then you're asking a question about dangers. You're exactly right. There's also a danger in it mm-hmm. because that leads to a lot of phony Christian behavior where we feel like we have to have a good witness. Mm-hmm. So there are Christians who are ridden with anxiety about a situation their family is dealing with mm-hmm. and where there's a terminal disease and they're, it's just eating them alive, but they feel like they have to put on a good face, mm-hmm. like they're trusting God. Mm-hmm. and. There's a two sides to that kind of thing Mm -hmm. issue Mm -hmm. where, yes, um, we can represent God well, and yes, we can do damage, but the flip side is God is big enough to handle it, Mm. so don't fake it. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing of feeling like we have to be a perfect witness, Mm -hmm. people are not attracted to perfect witnesses Mm. because they know they can never be that. Absolutely. And it, at some point, I, I think, or maybe this just is my own experience, but I think this is true for most Christ followers. At some point, the gridded out, it's all going to be okay. God's not going to give me more than I can handle. At, at some point, some of those platitudes begin to crack. And if there's not a foundation underneath there and you go, wait a minute, this this doesn't actually play out for me. Maybe this side of heaven, it never goes back to the way it's supposed to be. Then you you can call into question everything that was built on that foundation. Yeah. And so yeah. go being holding onto a faith that says God is big enough for me to question something mm. I was passed down or God is big enough for me to, yes, I'm going to screw up and how I represent him. He doesn't yeah. need me to protect him or to protect his image. Um, I, I think that some of the raw, like that's the hope in some of these conversations is to get into some of the raw gritty parts of this. And I, I have a good friend who is a CEO of an organization who was like, awesome. So you're going to tell us what to do. Like you're going to, we're going to have these conversations <laughs> and then you're going to tell us what to do. Or, yeah. And I was like, well, I, I think part of what to do is to learn to listen. Yeah. to somebody else's perspective, to learn yeah. to understand how they got there. And certainly the hope is that there are takeaways from this conversation, but this yeah. isn't like, here's the three things that you have to do to fix what's broken and in your- understanding the time that it takes, because mm-hmm. what you just said is walking through people in their stories and understanding the journey that God has taken them on. That was an extensive amount of time. Mm-hmm. And to be able to step into a conversation with somebody in love and say, I'm not, because we would- well, I can't say we would never do this. I would hope that we would not approach someone in a conversation and say, hey, I've only got like five minutes. Um, 
just give me the bottom line. Give me the bottom line of your life. Can you tell me something about your life that I can just take and, and then make a sermon out of that? Like, no, we would we'd enter into a conversation and figure out, you know, can we just talk about I want to love you and respect you and let's grow together. Or, mm-hmm. And that's the point. It takes time. But most that. people do without putting it in words, do exactly what you said. I, I probably do it too, if I'm the, being honest. The nonverbals are there. Yeah. And I, I think you're that by doing what you're doing, um, you are swimming upstream, mm-hmm. Carrie, with both human nature and culture. Mm-hmm. Um, personality types, some people are very comfortable with ambiguity. That's a minority mm-hmm. of people. Mm-hmm. Most want clarity. Mm-hmm. And some personality types want that clarity very quickly. Sure. Mm. And those of us who uh, believe scripture is all true and authoritative and inerrant um, tend to be the kind of people who like answers. Yes. We like black and white things, mm-hmm. but everything in life is not black and white. And as Americans, speed is our deal. Life yes. is going faster and faster and faster. Mm-hmm. So I think it's incumbent on Christian leaders in various ways to their Mm -hmm. churches to say, let's slow down. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are a ton of ways that happens. Think about sermon series. Mm -hmm. Um, How many churches now will do a 10-week sermon series? How many churches that are growing churches will? Um, I heard a pastor uh, recently apologize for a three-week series saying, we don't usually go this long, but this one's going to be three weeks because it's an important topic. Mm -hmm. But people's attention span, the attention span of the average American is seven to eight seconds. Wow. So that's why, you know, we just... Wanted. Give me the. Give me yeah. the cliff notes. Give me the Absolutely. tweet. Mm-hmm. Give me the. So anyone listening, stuff. you can listen to this on one point five or two times speed, and we're okay yeah. with that. You say that. I didn't even know that's an option to listen <laughs> oh, to it's a podcast. The only way I faster. listen to podcasts. Isn't this terrible <laughs> that I'm yeah. confessing this right now? But I think part of what the heart behind this is is to help people, even in some of these conversations. I think recognizing our blind spots that we can show mm-hmm. up to hard conversations with yes. is more important than the deficit of information that we have. And yeah. To your point, the access to information, you know, this could be the 101 introduction into a different way of thinking about something. You may have to go read a book or a couple books or have some follow up conversations with people in your community. But we hope to even model what that looks like to be able to have conversations with somebody you don't necessarily agree with. And yeah. still, I can love you and shake your hand at the end of the day, and you're my brother in Christ, and we can walk away as Sounds like she's saying she doesn't agree with you well, right now. There's, there's a couple things we probably don't agree on, would you say? Yeah, there's probably more than a couple. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't seem to matter much. No. Mm. I mean, there's a friendship that transcends that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. And we, what an opportunity. What an opportunity for us to continue to model yeah. what that looks like as Christ followers and to enter into that sort of mutual submission with one another yeah. through these conversations. And the friendship is quality enough that I can't think of a subject that I would not raise with you. Mm-hmm. There's nothing I, where I would fear that I asked the wrong question and now things different from here on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us for a few minutes. So you, you mentioned one of the things that changed was around gifts, right? Your interpretation yeah. of cessationalism and, and how the gifts are still active in the church. Have there been times that you, other than me, that you have done ministry alongside someone that there were some fundamental theological things that you disagreed on? It, you had mentioned 
sometimes you have to stand. <laughs> and I'm curious when you say that, does that mean stand in, in sort of the, the position that you're in on something? At what point is it our job to actually bring people along out of what could be an oppressive theology or what could be a harmful theology? And how have you had to discern over time, when is it appropriate to just stand and sort of acquiesce to this thing that I may not agree with? And when is it the time to stand, sort of stand up for something and try to bring people along? Have you experienced either one of those? Yeah, um, I wish I had a good answer to that. Mm -hmm. um, where I could give some principles that help discern that, uh, probably a starting place would be to say, I think theology does matter. Mm -hmm. Doctrine matters a lot. Mm -hmm. And again, this is one of those third way kinds of things where they're, where the people where doctrine is everything. And if you don't get every point of the creed right, you're out of our group. Yeah. Then there are the other folks who just blatantly say doctrine doesn't matter. It's all Jesus. No, doctrine does matter because at the core of doctrine is your understanding of God. Mm. And God wants him to know uh, us to know him as mm -hmm. he truly is. Mm -hmm. So doctrine does matter. But then when you talk to Carrie about um, essentials and unity, human nature again is the list of essentials keeps getting longer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And every group has their own essentials yeah. that makes you part of their group and yeah. not part of not. Mm -hmm. So I think in reality, there are very few essentials mm -hmm. to Christianity. Mm -hmm. And you could count them on the fingers of one hand. Mm. Um, so that said, then the challenge is for us just to deal with our own feelings about it and to be able to accept people who on important doctrinal issues have a different position from us. But when you look at it, it to me, the bottom line is, are they Christian or not? And probably an, a clearest example for me would be when we were doing mission work in Bosnia, mm -hmm. uh, post-war Bosnia. Um, I think God brought us into contact with a couple of young priests there who were just extraordinary young guys. And honestly, um, and if I'm being judgmental in this, um, then God will deal with me about that. I thought- <laughs> Or one of us will deal I, with you. I, I mean, thought probably carry. some of the older priests were politicians. I thought they were in it for the money. I could give you examples of why I would think that. It would have been hard really to work with them and support what they were doing. Mm -hmm. There were some younger priests who wanted people to know Jesus. There were things about Serbian Orthodoxy which are characteristic of the Orthodox Church worldwide, which to me, if I'm speaking very frankly, almost drove me crazy. Okay. There were things I just couldn't do or believe. But when I looked at them, I looked at their lives, I looked at their heart, I looked at the conversations about Jesus we had, they were absolutely Christians. And so we could encourage people to go to the churches that they were part of, mm -hmm. in spite of the fact that there were some practices that I would strongly disagree with. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I just thought 3% of the country is really Christian. Um, we can't afford 
arguments among those of us who follow Jesus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which is sort of this uh, growing sense that in a predominantly Christian culture, a lot of denominations could raise up because they would begin to bifurcate around certain ideas or certain practices, not necessarily principles, right? And we've seen that in different denominations and new ones have been formed because we don't agree on this topical thing, Mm -hmm. not necessarily doctrinal thing. Um, Perhaps that even would depend on how you define those two categories. But now as as our sort of Western culture is becoming more and more post-Christian, if we want to have influence on pacing culture and elevating who Jesus Christ is, that might mean we have to learn to come together and model unity in the midst of disagreement around some of those things. Well, and that was one of the things we believed in Bosnia because um, there's a term Balkanization that describes the Balkans. It means to fracture into parts. And they had just been through a war where Croats, Serbs, and Muslims each attempted genocide against the other. So it was a deeply fractured culture. Last thing they needed was more fracturing. Mm-hmm. And it, it was predictable if you think about it. As we got to know these Orthodox priests, we believed that there were some Orthodox practices that we could learn from. Hmm. For instance, in their Good Friday services, which is one of the biggest deals they do in the year, um, there aren't any chairs or seats in Orthodox cathedrals. People stand for a two-hour liturgy Hmm. um, out of respect for God. On Good Friday, they kneel for two hours wow. on a cement floor. Wow. And we asked our priest friends, isn't that painful? And they said, well, that's the purpose. Mm. You identify with the pain of Christ yeah. in mm. a small way. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, you would never do that in America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there were things about them that I so much respected leading up to Easter. Um, they had a partial fast for 40 days. Hmm. That was part of their preparation for Resurrection Sunday. Mm -hmm. So I just saw devotional practices and spiritual things in them. And I think that's the case when we work with people where we even have very significant differences. Mm -hmm. There's still things we can learn. Mm -hmm. Mm. I love that you are 76 now. I am barely 75. Barely 75. Oh, I think we're like on. a weekend. I'm so Don't sorry. That assume. was offensive. Yeah, I've just that, He doesn't look week. a day over 71. Are you? That yeah. you are still <laughs> living a curious life and that you are still um, pursuing learning from other people and the humility to say, huh, not only am I going to move past that I might disagree with this, I'm actually going to dig into is there something I could take away from yeah. somebody I disagree with? What a, what, where did that come from and who you are? Um, I don't know. Um, I've always been kind of curious, and I I said that I often felt like I didn't fit in in groups. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and it's kind of a curse when you ask a lot of questions (laughs) uh, because (laughs) it just, it makes life more complicated. It forces you to make more decisions. There can be a richness to it and a goodness to it. But I, I think that there are a lot of people who die at 50 and are buried at 80. Mm. They just kind of quit living. 
And if you're not going to ask questions, if you're not going to learn, if you're not going to grow, and as a result of that, if you're not going to contribute, then there's no reason to take up space and breathe other people's oxygen. So I don't know that it was learned. <laughs> so I love this guy. It's now just, we're kidding. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just kind of come naturally. Um, and I, I just have a desire to be around people who are learning. Mm-hmm. I think there's a thing about aging in our culture. This may be another one of those third-way things. Come on. Uh, people tend to do one of two things. They either move into a senior adult ghetto because they're getting older. <laughs> And they go just live with a bunch of people their own age and play golf and play cards and take trips on gray line buses to places. Or they don't want to be old, so they don't like that old image, so they try to be young. So they spend lots of money to do weird things to their body. And they they dress like they were 23. Don't they? Did they buy convertibles, though? Is that part of what they do? Oh, that's absolutely it. Okay. But I love mine. Okay. So. okay. <laughs> I know you just got a convertible. Sorry. I had to throw well, that jab in there. Let, let the record show that that's probably our sixth or seventh convertible. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So that's okay. been just kind of a lifelong yeah. okay. All right, good. sort of thing. Yeah. They try to stay young because we're in a youth culture. Yeah. And they're just really weird. And I think the issue of being older... Um, there, there are difficulties with it, the physical ones. Um, like 2 Corinthians 4 says, though the outer man's decaying, the inner man's renewing mm-hmm. day by day. Um, I memorized that on my 40th birthday, and I will assure you the outer man is decaying. Uh, <laughs> there are just so many aches and pains and stuff as you get older. But you can be somebody at 60 that you never could have been at 30. Hmm. And by that, I don't mean what goes on your resume stuff. I mean mm. who you are. Mm-hmm. There is stuff that it just takes God decades to do. So the third way in getting older is the question of life. Are, are you still alive? Mm. And is God still working in you? Is there stuff that's new? And one of my goals, probably my only worldly goal, is to live long enough that God has done enough work in me that he can work through me instead of in spite of me. Because so much of my life, God has done things in spite of all my weakness and sin and junk. And I, I think I'm getting better in some things. Uh, and I, so if I live longer, maybe more of the junk uh, gets cleansed out of me in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And God can, can do something really worthwhile. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of more than asked for. That was a simple question. That's so good. And it just triggered it because I just turned 75 last week. And that's kind of one of those milestone birthdays, you know. (laughs) Milestone birthdays usually have zeros. This one was a fraction. Mm -hmm. It was three quarters of a century. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a while. So I was just reflecting some on aging and the, the journey. Yeah. So good. As someone who has benefited from the ways that God has worked through you and not in spite of you, I want you to know you hit that. You hit that one out of the park already. Uh, Thanks. That goal. Yeah. Um, Would you give us any kind of insight into um, the importance of, so I think we we can fall into thinking, okay, if we want to be clear on the essentials and be gospel centric, (laughs) 
we can we can convince ourselves that the other things don't matter. We can convince ourselves that the social justice minded things are less important or the equity between human beings irrespective of their gender or skin color. You know, I, and I've heard, I've sat with leaders that would say what really matters is the gospel. And so if we get away from talking about that, we're, we're diminishing what we should be about. And so I'm curious if you would talk to us about even navigating the tension of those two things. I don't think it's all or one. I, I actually think very few things that we do are 100% one thing, right? It's 70-30 or 60-40 or if we're really honest yeah. about that. But in in that context, uh, why are some of the non-essentials still important to be curious about or ask questions or evolve our thinking or understanding of outside of just the essentials you could count on one hand? <clears throat> Let me illustrate that. Um, I grew up in an environment um, when I was in college where the term social gospel was used as a bad word. Hmm. What era was this? This would have been 60s. Okay. Hmm. And the good word was evangelism. The bad word was social gospel. And the reason was I was part of a movement of churches which had come out of the theological liberalism uh, around the turn of the 20th century, back around 1900, a lot of the major U.S. denominations were becoming theologically liberal. And the issue there, I think the core issue in that is not believing in the authority of Scripture. Hmm. They believe the Bible has truth, which is different from the Bible is truth, <laughs> which is a huge, I think that's a watershed issue. Hmm. Um, so out of that then, we were taught that social gospel stuff was bad because that's what liberals did. Hmm. And that was true because they weren't doing evangelism. Mm -hmm. They didn't believe in the death and resurrection of Christ as a sacrifice for our sin. So it was very one-sided. Over time, as you think about that, you, um, that in today's world, you say, does that matter with non-Christians in this country today? If you don't care about the poor, you never get a hearing for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Hmm. It is absolutely critical. Mm -hmm. So many people, when they use the word gospel, it's just about the gospel. In the context in which I grew up, that was 1 Corinthians 15 gospel. Mm -hmm. death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Mm -hmm. But the gospel has another use in scripture, which is gospel of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And so when Jesus came preaching, he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom which of was heaven. a holistic gospel. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when he taught us to pray in the model prayer, in, in my growing up experience, the phrase we just blew past was, your will, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're praying for heaven to come to earth, mm -hmm. for earth to be more like heaven. Mm -hmm. And implicit in that is all of the social justice issues. Mm -hmm. That's what Jesus preached and it's what he modeled. Mm -hmm. And if in Ephesians 1, the body is supposed to be the fullness 
the ex- the fullness expressed of who Jesus yeah. is. If Jesus is the head and the body is the fullness expressed, then that says a lot to me about then our posture towards those things and perhaps our participation in yeah. those things and establishing yeah. the kingdom of heaven mm. here yeah. on earth. So here's what it means for me. Mm-hmm. And in these kind of conversations, you throw out ideas that next week you may decide don't fit. <laughs> and somebody on a podcast may just listening to this may decide that's the stupidest thing I ever heard and hit the off button. So this may be the end of your ministry. <laughs> it ended as quickly as it began. Yeah. But when we're talking about unity on the essentials and then how we deal with non-essentials, I don't think my definition of gospel is an essential. But here's where there's some practical implications. If there's somebody who comes to me and wants to do uh, mission work in a very undeveloped country uh, that is just under the burden of poverty and extreme poverty, and they are going to plant churches, period, I would probably say we'd have a discussion about a more holistic gospel And if they said, God has called me to plant churches, my inclination would be to say to them, I will pray for you and pray that there be response. Mm -hmm. It's not a ministry I want to fund given limited resources because I want to participate in a more holistic ministry. Mm -hmm. So I will not speak against them. I will not criticize them. I won't work against them. But you're not endorsing it but I'm not joining them okay. in in that same order. Okay. Yeah, joining versus endorsing even, I feel like is is a different thing too. You know, well, we, and you've asked on this this podcast, what if we have conversations that we don't agree with? And yeah. I have asked, well, is engaging in a conversation yeah. mean that we're endorsing somebody's perspective, yeah, right? Yeah, because we're joining in line. the conversation, mm-hmm. uh, but we might not be... <laughs> But we are technically endorsing it by having the conversation and then releasing it. Maybe not endorsing somebody's viewpoint, though. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It is tough, yeah. There are probably, the three of us in this room, I could probably come up with a dozen topics that we don't agree on, and I could engage in. I think what is a bit of a disservice is in the church, we tend to weight those topics. Some things that we disagree on really matter. Um, I have a pretty different parenting philosophy as other people in my family, and I don't decide I'm not going to associate with them because of how they choose to parent and how I choose to parent. But, you know, some of them are pretty big deals in terms of how that plays out. But in the church, some of those things just they're more important than others and how we don't agree. Um, Dick, I want to share this as a, this is an opinion of Carrie, but I want your wisdom on this. But when I, and, and again, this is like everything. This is filtered through my experience. This is filtered through the place I hold in the world. So this is not gospel. But um, when I look at sort of the growth church movement and us having what I might describe as like a low bar fire insurance, everybody's welcome, come on in, evangelism, you know, fling open the doors, which I love and couldn't couldn't agree more with and that's that's the era I found Christ in but in some ways we also lowered the bar of discipleship in that to say what does this actually mean and my personal perspective is that right now we're seeing this sort of crumbling or reckoning happening in the church in the west where when we get into what some of these biblical principles are or when we get into some of the consequences of a holistic gospel uh, our actions don't necessarily match our words and what we say 
is important. What, what are your thoughts on that when I say that? I was tracking with you till the last part, and I'm not quite sure. I'm not clear on what you meant. Uh, I think that just as Christ followers that haven't been fully introduced to the way of Jesus and called towards that, yeah. I think we we are. I mean, you could take the the election. Maybe there there are ways that the church has signed up to be committed to things that may not actually align with what we say the church values, or there are ways that Christians, right, the ways that we have sort of sifted through, well, what's the highest value or what's most important? You could take a, maybe a pro-life ethic would be something that you could talk about, where in the church, you know, we really elevate the conversation around abortion, but there are other things that we support that don't, wouldn't necessarily be considered a pro-life ethic on. So my personal sense is that uh, we we went very high invitation and evangelism in the church without that lens of a holistic gospel to say, what does this mean about how we should actually live and make decisions and spend yeah. our money? And, you know, um, and so now we're there are some people leaving the church because they're saying you say one thing, but what you do is another thing. OK. I don't know that I'm that I've thought deeply enough about it in exactly the way you're framing it. Mm -hmm. I can give some thoughts which may intersect with it. And, and could be and, really different, and, and that's what I want to hear. Okay. Sure, sure. Um, typically, pendulum swings happen. Mm. It's human nature. Mm -hmm. So I think the seeker-driven movement was a pendulum swing mm -hmm. because churches were not connecting with non-Christians. This is back to my growing up experience when we lived in a bubble mm -hmm. and we were isolated from the world. Mm -hmm. So then church existed for a non-believing world and it existed for an evangelistic purpose. But you can only do that for so long because the goal of parenting is not to have babies. Mm -hmm. It's to raise children, to be healthy, contributing mm -hmm. members of society. So we're now seeing a move back more toward the center with the emphasis on discipleship mm -hmm. and that had to happen. Mm -hmm. The evangelism only focus not only missed something, I think it was in some ways damaging. I lived near a church that was very much like that, but they left the horizon strewn with bodies of people who had made a commitment to Christ and weren't given help on the next steps. Mm -hmm. And then there was that initial wave of forgiveness and enthusiasm and motivation. Mm -hmm. And then it all flamed out mm -hmm. and Christianity didn't turn out to be what they thought it was gonna be and they were very bitter mm -hmm. about that. So it was harder than to reach them than it was to reach them in the first place. Yeah. That's why it's damaging to yeah. do that. Sure. It's not a neutral kind of thing. I think what we're seeing now, um, is that many American church leaders, and there's more of a tendency in this, the larger a church becomes, are becoming more organizational leaders than spiritual leaders and pastors. Hmm. And I, I need to, I want to think more about this, but I'll just throw this out and maybe I'll trigger some thoughts for you. I think many large American churches are large organizations that have churches inside of them. 
<laughs> because when you think about what pastors do, many messages and sermons are good leadership talks. They aren't necessarily um, centered in Christ and in Scripture. So a really effective American church leader can give a talk about taking the next hill, and the church follows and do, does that, and they do the next capital campaign, and they buy the property, and they build a larger building, and there are good things that God does with that. I don't think it's necessarily a healthy church. Mm -hmm. And where the unhealth comes is the larger that gets, then the more pressure there is to sustain the institution. So there are financial pressures. You satiate donors. And so when you talk about dealing with the larger implications of pro-life and what does that mean, that's a much more sensitive topic with church members. And if you alienate 20% of the congregation, then the bills aren't getting paid and you can't maintain the institution. And it's an ugly side of ministry today that we don't like to think about because I believe that um, almost all pastors really want to believe that what they're doing is fully for God. Mm. But it's so subtle and the change comes over mm -hmm. such a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Then in the course of becoming organizational leaders, they don't become really transformational leaders. Mm -hmm. So back to the earlier part of our conversation, how do you form identity in people? Mm. Real pastors do that. That's one of the things that I saw in the Serbian Orthodox priests was that their ministry was not organizational leadership. Mm -hmm. It was They were involved in spiritual formation mm -hmm. of the young adults in their churches. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought, wow, that's different from the kind of events that we do sure. with young adults. So I think there are some absolutely wonderful things in American Christianity today. Absolutely. I think there are also some extremely dangerous things mm -hmm. happening right now. Mm -hmm. Some of those extremely dangerous things, I'd love to grab another conversation with you on this podcast because I think there are ways that we perhaps have missed the mark on defining the goal, right? I mean, yeah. the rise of the megachurch is yeah. fairly new, and, and that's yeah. not to diminish some really positive kingdom impact that those churches have. Yes. I was the part of one. However, there's some things that we should probably be really cognizant of that have the uh -huh. potential to do a lot of damage. Yeah, mm. and I think it's like you were talking about earlier, when we are aware of something in us, if we have a weakness that we're aware of mm -hmm. and therefore are dealing with and mitigating against, it's less dangerous than the weaknesses we're blind yes. to. Mm. Yes. Those are the ones that kill us mm -hmm. yes. mm -hmm. and kill the work that God's doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe we could conclude with this last piece of wisdom I want to try to mine from you. I know this is just the beginning of diving into a third way podcast with you. Uh, John and I are like, Dick, do you want to come host this with us? That's not the question. <laughs> All three of us together. Let's hit this country. <laughs> really, I think there are a lot of people that could be listening that are wrestling with something, right? There's some sort of wrestle that's caused them to want to dive into some third way conversations. Any principles, any warning, any caution, wisdom? You, you mentioned that pendulum swing, and I think that the, the propensity for us is to swing really, really, really far from yeah. one side, all the way, all the way, all the way, all the way yeah, to yeah. the other. Give us any kind of coaching wisdom insight on finding a middle, on finding mm. a, a third way, perhaps. I don't have any. I haven't thought about it. 
Okay. That's fair. Yeah, no, it's fair. I, I know as a as a young a leader in a church, a young pastor, it's easy to have the angst of, mm-hmm. I want to rebel, which is really what it comes down to for young leaders. Yes, it is. It, you yeah. know, I want to rebel yeah, against right what now. you have done. Yeah. And not even it, it manifests itself disrespectfully, but I don't want to. I don't want to assume that everybody doing this is out of disrespect. You know, I yeah. know in my yeah. own life, I'm not trying to be disrespectful yeah. in these moments of rebellion against what the status quo is and and what it is. But um, that is that is a tough thing. I I have found in where I'm at right now. This is there's no answers in this. There's no <laughs> end in this. I'm too young to even have any of that. Uh, I am seeing ways or exploring ways to bring the two together in the organization I am at right now being what would most mm-hmm. most people would re- refer to as a seeker friendly mega church mm-hmm. um, with <laughs> brethren roots in my past in North Carolina which is the exact <laughs> opposite of yes. what I am at right now yeah. uh, how do I and actually before the brethren church that I grew up in it was a brethren house church so even like much okay. smaller than I even went to an actual building how do I uh, unify the two? Because I believe that there was some really great stuff that I was able to grow up in, even mm-hmm. if I wouldn't necessarily do church that way. And I believe there's some amazing stuff that God's doing with where I'm at right now. That's why I'm still there, uh, but not necessarily agreeing with me. and My lead pastor have this open dialogue every chance we get about, hey, how can we together? How can we, you know that I disagree with some of the stuff you're doing, and and I know that you disagree with the views that I have on some stuff, and we're not mad at each other. So how do we just reach more people understanding that not everybody's going to want to come to a seeker friendly thing because like you said the danger of what this model has done and not universally but it's hurt more people in the church when they realize what you don't have anywhere for me to go after you just converted me to this and it was a hopeless conversion to now what um and i believe there's a lot of people in america right now that have been hurt by the by the church that way so Mm -hmm. how do we make sure that doesn't happen anymore well, we can never make sure it's true. That, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, yeah, we will always make mistakes. Always. Thankfully, God is big enough mm. to handle that. I would just make several comments. There's so much of what you said, John. Um, I don't think um, seeker-friendly is at all opposed to discipleship. Absolutely not, yeah. Seeker-driven, maybe. But when you're seeker-friendly, that says to me, you're looking to make disciples, but you want to do it in a way that's inclusive and inviting mm. to people who don't get it yet. Yeah. And so they're welcome in this place, and you take great intentional steps to make them welcome. Yeah. I think the conversations you and your pastor have are um, in some ways a model for what this whole third way thing is about. Absolutely. It's finding ways to be able for people who don't agree on stuff to be able to work together and really for the body of Christ to be healthy. That's what it's got to be. It's got to be be bigger than our little narrow niche Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I I think that's a win in what you're doing. I also think that you're an example of what the richness of the body of Christ brings. Because when you bring a background in a brethren house church following (laughs) Jesus to a seeker-friendly California megachurch and then are bringing that together 
uh, I think that's a really healthy thing. And that, again, is modeling this third way thing of learning from more than one place. Mm-hmm. There's the tension that you're now bringing from inside of you that you're yeah. trying, you know, that's where I'm living with that. So mm-hmm. the resonation I had when you're describing, I don't know if I fit in the, in the church. Yeah. I think I know because I've bounced around from multiple denominations, even between there, like also a Baptist church. So it's, yeah. it, but yeah. it's beautiful. And you guys are valuing, I mean, we all have, you're prioritizing impact over Uh comfort Mm -hmm. by both of you being willing to do that. And I think that's part of the call to follow Jesus is is valuing something over comfort. And you said something, Dick, just now as well about the intentionality that it takes. And and Carrie, you and I, even on the way over here, uh, or even it was was this morning or last night with with even your husband, Mark, talking about um, our values that we say we have. Mm -hmm. But if we're not actually living them out, and it's not that these seeker-friendly churches don't, uh, w- want to be about discipleship. I don't think, you know, I don't think that uh, some of these church models that aren't doing discipleship well, I don't think they set out to say, we're not going to be about discipleship. That's not important to us. But as a, as a leader in a church, you should be asking yourself this question every day, regardless, over many options. But then you're saying, wait a minute, what is the health of discipleship in our yeah. church? And, mm-hmm. if, and if we're not mm-hmm. doing it, we have to yeah. evaluate, okay, how do we make changes? That might not mean that we shift... Um, our Sunday services, or it might not mean that we shift our, our core values, but it means that we add somebody on staff that is only focused on that to bring health in. But there's many ways to do it. There's a big difference between expressed values and lived values. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Christians as a whole, um, that that's a huge issue because yeah. there are things we say we believe, but we don't do. Mm-hmm. So one of the leadership functions then is to hold all of our feet to the fire on that and come to a place where we have the conversation, we say we believe this. Let's talk about how well we're doing Mm -hmm. and what do we need to do differently. Carrie, let me just add one note to your question to me about wrapping up. Uh, When you said, how do we get to that third way? And I said, I don't know. Um, I think there's something for us as leaders in that. at times being willing to say that because Jesus didn't send everybody home every day with a bow tied on it. Mm, mm-hmm. There were days when people went home mm-hmm. angry. Mm-hmm. There were days when they went home scratching their heads going, I don't know what he meant by that story. And he explained it to the 12 later. So he was willing to send them home without resolution. Mm-hmm. And they had the conversations at home and worked it out. Mm-hmm. And it's too easy as leaders just to want everybody to go home with a little with bow little, tied on. Yes, yeah. yes. Absolutely. When I um, do this work with teams, so I get to serve yeah. with my husband as a pastor at a local church body, and I'm going to leave this conversation wondering if we are leading an organization or pastoring a community. So thank you for that mm-hmm. flick. Uh, we will often talk about, you know, all of us can get caught up in defining ourselves by what we don't want to be also. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can do this as an individual, looking at your parent, your parental figure, or looking at your story of origin or the family you came from and saying, yeah. I'm never going to be that. But I often yeah. encourage teams to define what is it that we are called to be. So even that value system, Mark and I are trying to work that out in our family right now. Yeah. Of what are what yeah. what is the kingdom-minded set of values that we're going to live according to, that we're going to make decisions according to as a family? Yeah. And the, John got to hear a part of a conversation where we were saying, well, we value family time. However, 
there was a time our schedule did not dictate that. And yeah. I finally said to my husband, let's just be honest that yeah. that week, that was not a value. It at least was not the highest value because we said yes yeah. to doing four or five things in the evening or, and that sort of congruency to say, I want my actions to actually reach what my stated values and are. And admitting That's that is healthy to say, totally. wait a minute. So if we're admitting that that wasn't a value that week, then how can we fix it in the future? Totally. And this was a tense yeah. conversation for Morgan because he's like, how can you say that we don't value family time? What you did you just say? To- I know, I know. <laughs> we live in the third way together and I love, I yeah. love him and yeah. I love that he loves me enough to enter into those yeah. conversations. But I mean, that is half of it is actually just acknowledging we, we fell short from what we said mm. was important here and we're never going to do better if we can't first yeah. acknowledge it so I mean, yeah. that's that's the journey well dick i just i want to thank you just for spending time and thank you for your for yeah. your your lack of answers <laughs> and for just the for modeling open, that yeah, for us. modeling yeah. it and just the openness that you have shared with us and what an example you are there's mm-hmm. a lot of pastors right now that i like to listen to i like to listen to their sermons um they're they're describing the um uh, the life of a follower of Jesus and how so few uh, of our leaders end well is what we call it. People who made it through the ministry and are still people we want to spend time with and be like, uh, and even just with an hour, hour and a half of spending time with you, like you have, not that it's by any means over, but you yeah. have reached that <laughs> that point of you are still running, but you have successfully been able to end a ministry uh, you know, working at a church and continue to find ways to continue to pastor, which is a conversation we had. You don't want to be a retired pastor because you're always going to be pastoring. And what a great example. I'm so thankful that I got to sit with you. Well, thank thanks. you for being here. Joy to meet you as yes. well. And Carrie, just always good to see you. Thanks. You too. So fun. Thank you for pouring into us and to anybody who could be listening to this. And we look forward to talking to you some more on a Third Way podcast. Thanks. Hey, thanks again for joining us here in the Third Way podcast. We're so excited to dive into the tension of following Jesus. And I know if you are a a church leader or part of a faith community, I hope this conversation was stretching and was challenging for you in some ways. I hope the Spirit used it maybe to, to prompt or prod a little bit at how you're approaching ministry. I hope you were encouraged as well. A Third Way podcast is a ministry of New Ground Network, and we're so thrilled that you joined us for this conversation. We hope you will meet us back here again soon as we explore explore the tension of following Jesus.